0: Hi, everybody, and we're back on the podcast we um, with a really, really close friend of mine. We've been mates for a very, very long time, and I suppose recording this podcast has been at least two, three years in the making, and we all know why we've not been able to get together. But um, finally made things happen, got over to the UK, and uh, I'm staying with a very good friend of mine, Mr. Gary Stringer, who happens to be probably one of the best martial artists in Great Britain, if not with a, with his worldwide reputation for what he does um he's very very high in his uh in his world of martial arts so thanks for uh thanks for looking after me Gaz. always a pleasure Rod. you know that so uh we just i just thought we'd get you know while well, we've a little bit of time we've got the opportunity to to get something on record um have you ever done a podcast before
1: no never
0: ah, right. first one <laughs> podcast, <laughs> yeah. virgin. <There> you <laughs> go. podcast virgin podcast virgin um and for anybody listening that might be a little bit sensitive, I do apologise if there's any bad language, but we we are two old muckers, and at times we do, we we tend to swear. But never mind, you'll get over it. So, so I suppose uh, for me personally, my interest in martial arts started off when I was a teenage kid, and uh, you know we we all need we all need heroes in our life, and for me it was uh, the man himself, Mister Bruce Lee. Um, saw into the dragon and got uh, interested in martial arts. Now you're a, a few years older than me. You're a lot older than me, actually. I suppose. I'm sorry. <laughs> tell me, uh, tell me, what got you interested in martial arts and why? Well,
1: if we think about it, this year Roach marks my 58th year right. involved in the arts. I started when I was around about seven, uh, and the guy that started me off, it was my dad. Right, he came back from Korea um, from the war, um, having done his bit over there managed to get myself blown up but that's another story um, but he came back with what I now understand was Harando right which is the, the forerunner or the older martial art in Korea than Taekwondo right it, it predates it by hundreds of years I mean right okay um, so he taught me bits and balls and a bit of one on combat and boxing like everybody boxed in not they my dad's generation your dad's generation mm. everybody yeah. did a bit of boxing didn't they even if it was unofficial they all boxed it
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: uh, and then I got into got so I got a little bit of that and then there was, there was a Chinese lad at school Now you, you're talking in the early 70s now so we were talking pre-Bruce Lee um, and a Chinese boy there was a Chinese boy in my school and a black lad in my school which was unheard of right uh, and both were my very good friends um, you know the, the black lad running there went on to a bit of fame because he's on the the cover of uh, the um, Wiggins single footsies, Wigan's Chosen Few. He's got his picture on that. That's his claim to fame. <laughs> but yeah, he's a good lad. And, 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 and the Chinese guy, Stephen, his name was Stephen Chen. And, he's, and I went to knock it about with him. And uh, his dad taught me some stuff, which I later came to realise was chin no, which is, chi, if you want to, without wanting to sound too technical, it's basically Chinese jiu-jitsu. Right. It's the best way to describe it. It's right. a grappling art based on Based on that, so jiu jitsu is a derivative of it if you want to really get technical, right? So, as a set way of doing things, so we did all that, um, till I was 18 when obviously decided that I'd uh, have a bit of a brain fart and join the forces instead, instead of going on with an engineering degree. So, I had this uh document given me by my instructor, uh, Mr. Chen, uh, and filed it away, right? I wasn't going to use anything wasn't going to use it. And then, if you fast forward six six years or so, it came out of the forces and was looking for something to do, bumming about doing different jobs, door work, bit of bodyguarding, worked in a foundry, uh, and wanted to teach. Mm. And this is the time when there was a big furore to do with the MAC and all the, the governing bodies at the time were all warring with each other, and MAC were trying to amalgamate things if you want to call it that or, or sort of become the governing body uh, and I'm not going to go into the politics of it but they wouldn't let me in I do it's fine by me I wasn't particularly interested right. but the guy that did help me a an lot and deserves a mention was Tom Hibbert MBA right. God rest him he died a couple of years ago now Tom ran at that time the AMA mm. the Amateur Morse Association uh, it was at that time the Amateur Karate Association it became AMA a couple of three years later but he was a bit of a visionary. He foresaw that people that the MAC, for whatever reason, were rejecting still needed a home, still needed looking after, still needed guidance, still needed insurance policies. You know, still needed to be able to access all the training. So he set up that, he set up the AKA. Then it became the AMA. So I was with them for many, many years. Um, and as a part of that, I had an assessment um, to see where it was at under Major Suzuki of Magendo. Right. right it was a very very hard instructor a very very hard man mm. very talented martial artist um very high standards uh, I, after two days i walked away from that with, with my certification from my previous instructor ranked at fourth down so mm. that was my start Rog. Right. right um but then i decided because like everybody you've got to decide what you want to do have not you and i wanted mm. to go i wanted to break away from um, having tried Laogar and Shotokan and various other things I wanted to break away from the constraints of that as in you've got to do it this way because it's always been done that way I've always been a bit of a pragmatist and I, I thought well I want to be more practical than that so I decided to do my own thing and for many years I was persona on grata right and probably in, in some areas I still am <laughs> but hey ho yeah um, you know I've been teaching now for Thirty plus years, the mm. system I teach, so it's established. Mm. Mm. I've got people you know that train it all over the world: New Zealand, Australia, some in America. Uh, you know, up and down the country, the little pockets. Um, obviously, run the academy, but 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 my, my my emphasis changed when I went on my own to to be more practical. Mm. Not that I'm knocking anybody else's approach; that's just my
0: yeah thoughts yeah, on yeah,
1: it. Yeah. So, we we devised the system. Um, and the rest, as I say, is history. Hmm. Uh, it's I have no objection to traditional martial arts, and my base is very traditional. I mean, if I list my instructors Charles Mack, one of the first, well, the first Occidental to be awarded three dan grades in three separate arts from Japan. Right. Was I used to train, t- travel down to London, and train with with Charles. Right. I used to train with Tommy Baldwin, who is now sadly deceased, uh, in Millwall Bujitsu car very, very hard, but right. again. You know, proper job, traditional martial
0: art.
1: Hmm. Um, so I've got that background, but I just chose not to utilize it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah.
0: Now we in conversation over last night. Um, you know, we we kind of went around the houses and loads of different questions, and me just uh, kind of opening opening your mind a small bit but i asked you an interesting question this morning if you had to put your hang your hat on one person in the history of martial arts that you viewed as um, as a as a visionary who would it be now we you know we obviously had in that conversation mr bruce lee but um, you pulled one out of the bag that even I'd never heard of. So explain that one. Right.
1: So we were discussing it. We, we obviously we went round many people to Abbey and Tono and Bruce Lee. But I think for me, and I still stand by it, it's got to be Edward Barton Wright, mm-hmm. who, is, who has become lost really in the sands of time. Um, He's been immortalized, or his martial arts is immortalized in the Sherlock Holmes stories because mm-hmm. Sherlock Holmes, when he defeats Moriarty, uses baritsu, which that. But actually the martial art that Barton Wright did was Bartitsu, Right. And it was based on boxing, jujitsu, as taught by Tono when he came over from Japan in the 1800s, and uh, European and British cane fighting. So it was the first, if you want to call it a properly mixed martial art, but mm. all oriented towards practical self-defence. So for me, at that time, that makes him, for me, my visionary. It, it was visionary. It, it was years, light years
0: mm-hmm.
1: in front of people. So this was a couple of hundred years ago. And we're talking back in Victorian England. Right. You know, like I was discussing earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if you're talking visionaries, that, to me, yeah, Edward Barton Wright is the father of modern martial arts, at least in this country. Right, right. Whether people choose to acknowledge it or not, is an entirely different, <laughs> but for me he's yeah. the father of modern martial arts in this country yeah
0: yeah, brilliant I suppose we have to we have to mention him
1: because, of course we have I mean I it wouldn't be unfair not to mention Bruce he, as, as he did that Roger thumbing to a, a portrait on the wall in my house of, of the late great man and again a big influence on my life because I was taught by some of his best instructors hmm. one of my very best friends who sadly passed away some years ago now Larry Hortzel. right who Bruce described as his toughest student. You know, ex-Green beret, Special Forces, really nice man, but on the mat, a nightmare. Right, right. You know, an absolute grappling nightmare.
0: Uh, how did you meet him?
1: Uh, basically went to a course in London uh, at the time with, with Danny was teaching. Danny and Asanto have also had the pleasure to train under. And Larry was there as well so we did a session and i invited larry to to come to derbyshire to derby and then over the years we just became really close friends
0: brilliant yeah, yeah. so
1: you know my, my kids used to call him called larry to so stay here he'd use it as a base to travel up and down and go to different places right um yeah so i learned a lot off larry and he qualified me as a john fan instructor something i don't shout about and don't particularly capitalize on uh but it, that was for me right um, so yeah, you, I mean, so Bruce is Bruce. You know, anybody that's done martial arts from at least the mid seventies has got to be influenced by Bruce Lee. Mm-hmm. But there are so many other sources we, we discussed, mm-hmm. depending on where you're coming from.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. So, with all of these huge influences on you as a young man, um, how how have you how have you personally evolved? over the last kind of 30 years in terms of the way you view what you teach what's in your head that's a good question <laughs> <laughs> not a lot um,
1: I think yeah I, have, I mean I can if I look back 30 years ago to when I was training at the grandstand pub when I had a ream in the back room of the pub that taught me a lot of things um, because we used to get people coming in from the bar mm. wanting to know what was going on then trying it out literally you know we we'll come and do that to me then um, I was always happy to oblige. That's no problem. Uh, but, but I was still sort of I was had my feet in two camps. I suppose at the time. Of course, I was still very young, um, mid twenties, moving on to the, you know late twenties. So I still got a lot of the traditional influence there. Mm. But it was trying to move away and modernise my practice, and that. That experience helped a lot because there was a lot of practical and in inverted commerce experience to be gained right. <laughs> in that place. Um, it, it was a rough old place um, and we we hired the back room for many years, to do, a couple of years to train there before we found somewhere else. Um, but I suppose over the years, it's more refined. I understand more. And again, it, it's like everything else, Roger. You've got to continually educate yourself. Mm. Or even re-educate yourself. Mm, mm. Um, I have a vast martial arts library. I read quite widely, not just martial arts books, but teaching books, books on teaching methodologies, psychology, physiology. Not as I know that much about it, but mm. to try and expand my knowledge. So, so you can, So I have expanded. I have evolved because back in, if you say back in, say the 75, 76, I could hit people, and I, but I didn't know why. I didn't know why that particular thing might work, I just knew it worked.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Now I understand why it may or may not work or how to make it work for different people or so a much much wider knowledge base, I yeah. think, is the thing I would say. Physical skills Well, hopefully I've improved, but obviously with having rheumatoid arthritis for 30-odd years, it slows you down a little bit, but it doesn't slow the grey matter down, so I can still teach it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that in itself was an influence because that made me examine my practice.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I asked you, I don't know if you remember, I asked you 20 years ago, did you feel your medical condition truly affected your martial art? And your answer was that because you've got no natural physical strength anymore, or, that, or it was beginning to wane, that you, you were becoming technically better.
1: Absolutely. And I, th- and I think that still holds. Mm. Um, and one of the quotes I always say from my number two, Mark Cooper, um, I fell in behind a conversation he was having in the changing range, and he said, he doesn't take you as old as he used to, but it's exactly the right place. It's exactly the right time. It's <laughs> even worse. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, I think technically I'm far better. And I think... To take a positive spin from my illness, that made me examine
0: mm-hmm.
1: my practice. It made me examine why things worked and why things didn't work and how I could make them work.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's made me a far better instructor, I think. Right. So I took the positive from the negative, if you want to call it that. Because yeah. I could have just rolled over and think, you know what, I can't do it. In fact, they told me, you know, don't practice martial art. Right. I said, well, you know, that ain't going to happen. So not you know, just know, best yeah. get yourself sort of that. And <laughs> fix me when I come in when I'm broke. Yeah. Now, of course, the whole thing we're Talking 34 35 years on, the whole treatment regime has changed completely. Mm. They tell you to keep as fit as you can and you know, not impact too much, and I don't, but you know, the whole regime has changed completely. They understand the disease more,
0: yeah. There's yeah. different
1: treatments for it. Um, so yeah, I, th- I have evolved uh, uh, hopefully into a better martial artist with a wider understanding, mm. and, and I think that's reflecting the people that w- are willing to stay on the mat and teach with me. Right. Very many karate, high-ranking, good people, Barry Tatlow, John Johnson, Simon Oliver, uh, to name but three off the top of my head, um, you know, happily share the out because they, they, I understand what they're doing and I can fit my stuff in with theirs. Yeah. So I couldn't have done that in 1975 or 1976 or whatever. I would not have had, A, the confidence, or B, the knowledge or right. the ability to adapt what I teach. Right, right. Does that answer your question?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, where where do you view where do you view martial arts in the uh, year twenty twenty two Where do you view it in what context? Well, we've we've I sometimes think it's in various forms it's been diluted. Uh, people chase what colour belt they wear in rather than the concept of what they're trying to achieve. Um, I think we
1: discussed this last night, didn't we, in a
0: roundabout fashion. I think there's a lot of dilution took
1: place, but then you've got people, and I'll mention the same three again: Tatlow, Johnson, Oliver. They're all three of those guys. They're intent on keeping the traditional karate, but bringing it into the modern times. Mm. So their practices, you know, is it, it, is is split. But they they say to people, and I've seen them do it. This is what the This is what we're going to use it for today. So I think if you've got people like that around, then the the future is good. Right. Um, and you've got a few people like me that may be regarded as mavericks or, I mean, I know some people still don't, don't accept it, but that's the way it is, that have got their own systems going um, that are also moving things forward. Because I, I always say the same thing to people. If Fulikoshi was around today, he wouldn't be teaching what he was teaching in 1922. Because hmm. it's now it's 2022 and things change. Of course, Yeah, yeah. And people change and attitudes change and the whole nature of physical combat changes fundamentally yeah. it's the same but again we were discussing before the podcast weren't we the prevalence of weapons now
0: yes yeah yeah you yeah. know
1: um, so you've got to change your practice to fit with the time yeah that doesn't mean say you've got to dilute what you teach but you've got to make it fit for purpose
0: mm-hmm.
1: now the other f- flank to that if you want to, to call it that is the fact that people do and you are right they come chasing belts mm. And very often, and I've had it at my academy, You know, well, I can go down the road and get it in two years. Well, off you go then. I I'm, Don't I'm operate like that. You know, for me, it's four years minimum.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Because yeah. I still hold the old belief, mistaken though it may be, or old fashioned though it may be, that it should mean something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so it's you know, it's an achievement. A serious achievement. Attre- it is a serious right. achievement. It takes a lot of time, a lot of commitment, blood, sweat, and tears. Mm. Um, and it should still do that. Mm. That doesn't mean to say we preclude anybody from doing it. I've got people with disabilities that've got black belt with me. We've just adapted accordingly. this shouldn't preclude anybody from from attaining that goal. But it's got to be their goal. Mm. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean there's no excuse for diluting stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, to make it easier to to attract more people. I mean, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. But that's not my game. Um well, sadly you know it's become a numbers game hasn't it and a lot of people make a lot of money at it
0: yeah yeah which I'm not knocking <clears throat> so tell tell me about your academy then because you, again you're you're set up as a charity not as a a profit based exercise correct how did that evolve
1: okay so if we go back um seven eight years now my number two mark came to me uh, is it very successful businessman. I'm not going to go into too much into it because he, doesn't want me, he wouldn't want me to. But suffice to say, we bought a building. Uh, so we owned the building. And we decided that to make that pay... Because I'm on a police pension. I'm a retired police officer. We would devise it as a charity so we could offer martial arts and self-defence training to the public at a reasonable cost. Mm. That's our bottom line. Right. Okay. So we we are very cheap, which sometimes fire backfires on us because people have got this weird thing if it's cheap it can't be any good Um, but that's just the reverse psychology once they come and see what we're doing they're generally quite impressed Um, and the facilities as you've seen roger you know i mean Mm. they are are pretty good pretty good yeah yeah um so we decided we set up as a charity um for that very purpose really to, to bring people in wouldn't normally access it so we run free courses now and again we're trying to set up a scholarship program for kids that you can't afford to come right and we're looking at trying to get some lottery funding for that in the future so we can actually have i don't know 10 or 12 kids that we just pay for brilliant via lottery funding yeah something like that so that's that's something that's ongoing on on the back burner and you've other martial arts that take place in your venue yeah well and again what we set up here for was like we wanted to set it up as also like a mini hub So coming back to John Johnson teaches there on a Saturday morning for his adaptive karate, and I've got Neil that teaches Kiaki Kido on a Thursday, uh, on a Wednesday, sorry, so last night. Um, and we offer cheap, you know, the room's fairly cheap and the facilities are really good, aren't they, mm. for the price? And um, we did have a Tai Chi instructor, and I want to start that again. We run courses at weekends, and you know, we try and just keep things as, as reasonable as we can, and we've got a big charity seminar coming up on June the 11th, uh, for Kalati for mental health. So and we try and push stuff and we we do women's courses and very often we'll do two or three of them a year that'll be free. Yeah. So, so the idea behind it being it being a being a charity really was so we could benefit as many people as we could. I mean mm. we have to take money because you've seen the size of the place. Yeah. Yeah. You
0: have you got your overheads. It
1: takes money to run. Yeah, yeah. But we're not out to make any a killing. Mm. You know. It, we've got people. I'm not going to mention names that you know. Sometimes I can't afford it. Well, just come and train.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: That's not what we're about. You know, we're about trying to help people. Mm, brilliant. Uh, and you know, and when you're back on your feet, then pay that. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Very, yeah. Yeah, very admirable.
1: Well, you know, <clears throat> I'm lucky, Roger. I've got a police pension. My wants are simple. I've got a few quid in the bank, not a lot, but a few quid in the bank. I'm mm. reasonably healthy apart from having RA, but it's worse things to be saddled with. Mm. Um, you know, and um, why not help somebody if you can?
0: Yeah, yeah, good. So let's spin off into the whole concept of the self-defense stuff, which is obviously where your your fame and infamy lies. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, just give us a, a, a brief brush as to where you've been and who you've taught. Well, I've taught all over this country, the states, all
1: over Europe, so France, Germany. Italy
0: and is it, is it a question of um, a martial arts or a policing organization say come and teach us some self-defense in addition to what we already do Yeah
1: I mean quite often when I went I mean into the states and obviously you know the story there of, of, of Mike the police captain and invited me into their department to taught us some self-defense stuff there on top of what they already do uh, you know, we go to America for the code remedy, which I'm a part a member of luckily to be a member of and a board member and teach over there. And that drags in people from all over the spectrum. Right. Military, police, and just practicing martial artists. Uh, and you know yourself, Roger, and just networking within the martial arts is vital. And of course, there, you get one thing leads to another. Yes. Yeah, and you get yeah. invited to all sorts of... So and I've been very lucky to be invited to many places. Right. With, with some really good people. Um, you know, Verona was beautiful. I um, spent a few days teaching over there, Sicily, um, Germany, Munchen Gladbach, uh, with Tony, Tony Schengen in in, in Munchen Gladbach, and again, you know, and, and other things spin off from that. When I was in Germany, I got presented my my uh, recognition in my rank and system by the last living descendant of Genghis Khan, who was Tony's instructor. <laughs> um, so things spin off. Yes. All the things coming, you know, it—it's it, it, like a big web, isn't it?
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, I've been very lucky, but then again, you know, was it wasn't Seve Ballesteros said the order I work the luckier I get.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, yeah, know, yeah. you
1: put yourself out there. You've got to be willing to do that and be willing to take the flack
0: sometimes. Mm. I don't get so much flack these days, but yeah, yeah. I've had my share. <laughs> so I, I, I asked Gary a question last night. I, asked, I, I asked you did you uh, did you consider yourself a ma- maverick in the world of traditional martial arts and uh, how, what was your take on that again I can't remember what I
1: said last night but yeah I was regarded as a maverick yeah I mean for many years I was persona non grata mm. for many many years uh, and, and so, like I said last night in some quarters I still am mm.
0: uh,
1: that doesn't bother me
0: because you, is, and is that because you don't work to rigid traditional kata yeah. based martial yeah. arts yeah Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, or, or the, the, you know, people uh, used to, do not so much these days, but question the ranks I hold. Right. But that's endemic in martial arts. Of you course, know, yeah. That, I mean, I, I, Marley, you know, you've seen the wall. Mm. you know, they're the irrefutable, um, and that's fine. If somebody mm. wants to come down and, and see them or, or question it, they have liberty to do so. Mm. But back in the day, you know, there was a lot of because if you weren't in the MAC or whatever you were, a, you were a Maverick, and that was with the AKA or well, the AMAs, we already discussed. I was doing my own thing, which now is is nothing unusual, mm. but then back then, we're talking twenty, thirty years ago, was highly unusual, highly unusual, yeah. and very much frowned upon, right, um, for various reasons. And I think one of the main reasons was because you're challenging their truth.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and nobody likes their own truth to be challenged. No, me included, and you and everybody. You know, we've all got that thing we protect. And I think that's why, really, why I was sort of regarded that way. And I, you know, and I didn't really care. Mm. I just I thought, you know, I'll stand and fall on my own merit. Well, you know, the system now is thirty-five years old. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> we have yeah, a full-time yeah. academy. I teach all over the world.
0: Yeah. Whether proof. you like it or you don't, proof proof enough yeah. Proof of the pudding is I'm still here. Cool. So where where I mean where do you see the uh, where do you see the future of it going for for you? For me, yeah.
1: I think my job now is to train future instructors, right, and to secure the legacy of the academy. Hmm. I mean, I put I'm 65 this year, so realistically, what 20 years? Hmm. Um, so we need to plant some more trees. Mm. that I'm not going to sit under. Right. Um, to paraphrase the the, uh, the saying. But, you know, um, that's my role, I think, now, is to train future instructors to ensure the legacy the academy carries on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've got a good number two in Mark. Mark will ensure it moves on, and other people are coming through. And it's about picking the right people and keeping them.
0: Mm.
1: And getting those people that share your values and want to move it forward. So that's, that's where I'm at, I think.
0: Yeah.
1: I may or may not write another couple of books... Yeah. Just to sort of put the system down on paper. As it stands today, Yeah, what I want to say is for posterity, you know, in 20 years' time, it shouldn't be the same. It should have evolved. It should yeah. have evolved on further from it. Yeah. And yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't want that to happen. Yeah. I don't want people to, when I'm gone, you know, Gary did it this way, that's why we're going to do it. Mm. If it's not no longer working or relevant, it needs to move.
0: Yeah. It yeah, needs yeah, yeah, to yeah. change. Yeah.
1: You know that's the natural order of things. It needs to change. Mm. Nothing remains the same. Yeah. Um, so that that's where I think I, my role is now.
0: Within the, and I, I'm just kind of thinking out loud now. Within the kind of concept of the whole notion of, um, uh, let's use the phrase self defence. Where do you think where do you think martial arts has made mistakes? Is it is it because it's a module? Next to doing your kata
1: or... Right, I I think... I will use the expression dojo violence is not violence. Mm. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dojo violence is a controlled environment with people that are going to stop you if you go too far and you've got a set of rules. You and I both know, Roger, from our experiences, from being in the police, working the doors, dealing with violence every day. Violence is nasty, it's dirty, it's quick, and it comes from nowhere.
0: Mm.
1: That in no way relates to what happens in dojo. (laughs) <laughs> does it
0: no, no way re-
1: no way relates and I think that's what people fail to understand mm. and it's not their fault you know people whether they go to any a traditional group or any other group and they, they will get asked as an instructor what would I do in self defence and if you you've only got the tools you've got in your toolbox Hmm. true any story. You know, if you go and build a, a boat and you've not got anything to cut wood with, you're and aren't you? You can't do it. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. You yeah,
1: know, and, and so you've only got those tools. So if those tools don't fit, you've either got to think on your feet and come up with something that's off arsed which happens quite a lot, mm. or you've got to go away, bury your ego, and go and find someone that can teach you what you need to know and then come back. Mm. Uh, and I think that's where people make the mistake, and I'm not setting myself up as an expert. I hate that term. X is, is a has, has been a spurts a drip under pressure. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I've had wide experience of dealing with violence, both in the controlled environment in custody suites. I worked in the third busiest custody suites in the country at Derby. Um, on the streets as a police officer, working the doors, working at close protection. I've had a lot of exposure to violence and I've learned what works and what doesn't, and what methodologies work and what, what won't. Hmm. But it's understanding the difference between so having somebody in a gear in front of you it, that's going to bow, take a ready stance, move into stance then punch you. Somebody walking up to you just planting you. It's totally different. Mm-hmm. And, and, and a lot of things, And the big thing now that's coming through, and we were doing it years ago, is, is what they call pressure testing. So, you know, getting padded up and having at it. And that's brilliant. It's good. Because it does make people understand mm-hmm. that these so-called deadly blows aren't in actual fact deadly.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You
1: know, um, they won't do you any favours, but they're not one to fight stoppers. There are very few that are. If you're lucky enough to get it off, that's great. But it's having that reality and that understanding of the difference. I think that's where people make the mistake. Mm. And and like I said before, I I go on what, you know, doing structure assessments and things like that, and they'll teach their martial art, then at the end they'll do 20 minutes self-defence. But what have they been doing in the previous hour? Mm Mm-hmm. And they modulise it, as you call it, and then I think that causes confusion for the student. Yeah, yeah. Because what have I been doing for this hour, if that's self-defence, why have I got to do this bit? My take on it, and it's just my personal take on it, and I'm not knocking anybody else's practice, but if you're teaching, let's say step reverse punch, let's take that as a fundamental technique that everybody teaches, me included, because it's teaching body mechanics, but that can be sort of stepping to grab you. Mm, mm. So you can use the same technique or the same principle to avoid that or deal with that. That could be the start when you're trying to get in a headlock by moving around, so you change the punch to a hook. And it's about just changing the practice methodology mm. to at least bear some resemblance to realistic things that are going to happen out there. You haven't got to completely abandon your tradition. Yes. But just change the methodology, and I think that's where some people make a mistake.
0: Yeah, 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 but
1: that's just my point. Oh. I want to emphasise. I'm not setting myself up as the guru of self defence because I won't. I I don't do that. But that's not what I'm talking about. But that's where how I teach martial from mm. and. That, and I think where some martial artists get it wrong, if you want to use that, term, is they don't understand the difference and I reiterate between dojo, violence and in inverted commas, and violence out on the cobbles. It's a totally different ballgame. Mm-hmm. And they get overwhelmed and people do get overwhelmed and they don't understand the adrenal rush. They don't understand the, fight, the freeze issue and how to overcome it or have tactics to overcome it. They don't understand preconception and setting up things and having I mean, already made a decision what am I going to do. They don't understand that once it's on, you've got to carry on. Mm-hmm. it has (laughs) to finish you've got to finish it and get gone they're not prepared for that so a lot of the the thing is not the the physical aspect of it they're all very competent it's the mental side that they fail to address right and I think that's the single biggest mistake because they're all very physically and technically competent and if they planted you one you would know about it and that would stop you Mm. but what stops them being effective is the mental preparation for that yeah 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 and they make the mistake of competition being preparation for out on the street, and it's a different ball game. Yes. It's good because you're still getting that adrenaline rush and learning to operate under pressure, but you're still in a safe environment.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's always there's a referee. There's always somebody there to step in.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so you, that I think that's the mistake people make of not discussing with their students, or not making the students aware that the difference is up here or in the head rather than anywhere else.
0: Yeah, if that makes. Sense. Yes. Yeah. 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 So uh, you you started off with your c- certificate being kind of ratified as a fourth dan. Where where are you now?
1: <laughs> in my lounge, uh, in my uh, dining room. Uh, no. Well, I got awarded. I'm very lucky. I got awarded tenth dan a few years ago by the curly Bertucca, and when I was a, a teacher on a course in Sicily, um, completely unbeknown to me. Came out of the blue. Um,
0: that was later ratified in Japan. So, uh, so for the people listening, how how do you, how on earth do you get assessed to be a tenth grade dan? Because... Well, I have no idea. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, now I understand the mo- the, the process. And uh, as I was teaching uh, over the year, preceding year, I'd have people pop up. they were new. I'm more apt right to come on the mat for half an hour. He "Yeah, of course you can. Uh, my mm. mats always open." unbeknownst to me they were all taking notes or looking at my practice and what I was doing and then when I was teaching in Sicily uh, my very now very good friend Bill Stocking was stood on the corner of the mat staring at me and I'd never met the guy before right Um, uh, what's his problem (laughs) Uh, and then as as I finished my sessions he he was gone he he disappeared back into wherever he went to, to his own stuff but then uh, on the last day of that three-day three, three day course, they decided that I was worthy of a 10th done mm. and that's what I was awarded. I mean, I was already a ninth done at the time, so I didn't just leap from 4th to 10th. Of course, uh, yeah. i got grades in between. Um, but young for that rank, um, yeah. again, it, it had ramifications or reflections of my previous <laughs> experience, mm-hmm. but not so many. Right, because of the awarding body,
0: yes, yeah, you know
1: Kobataka is three hundred and thirty thousand people strong all right. over the world, mm. um various disciplines, you have to be invited to join, you can't apply to join right, um, and then, three years ago, I was awarded the title of manager, right, which is you know one of the highest titles tar- a very lucky. One of the highest titles, and there are only five of us in Code of Ateca Right. Um, worldwide. Worldwide, yeah. Wow.
0: So, congratulations. Um, but
1: again, yeah, thank you, but it means nothing if I get a piece of tea before I'm going to fall over onto If I go up, we're going to have an issue. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, it doesn't make you indestructible. And yeah, I think that's yeah, the other yeah. side of it. People tend to have this view, or some people believe their own publicity, maybe. Yeah. I've always tried to keep my feet on the ground with that one, and you know, it it, it enables me. My rank enables me to help other people, and that's what it should be for. Yeah, not self a grind and grind a grades me and look at me, but actually use it to help somebody else. Yeah, and you know, two years ago, like we were discussing last night, uh, you know, I I was honoured by Her Majesty. Mm. I got the British Empire medal for my work with vulnerable people and within the arts. So, do you know what? That'll do for me.
0: That'll do for you, yeah. yeah. People like stories, and I lo- we'll finish on a really good story because I thought it was brilliant, was you were invited over to the United States to yeah. work with armed response type people. Yeah. Tell me about yeah. that. Well, like we said last night, we are talking about it, and
1: the guys all came in. I mean, I'm not a big, a big bloke. I'm, I'm, I'm 15 stone-ish. Um, and these guys were pushing... God, I don't know, 18 stone, maybe more, but they're all built like tanks. Yeah. Um,
0: so these were the special team?
1: It was a team that intercedes, if SWAT can't do it, these guys get the job. And I can't remember what the acronym was for it, yeah. I, 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 but these guys, were. so they're all all police, obviously, but all mostly ex-military. Right. Uh, of, of various shades of, of whatever. And one of the guys, he sort of didn't take Umbridge, but he, there's always one, in, and he just said, you know, we've had these experts before, Show me what you've got. Right, right. And, you know, me being, you know me, Roger, always want to rise to a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I've tried to dissuade him. I said, look, I'm not, I'm not here to prove a point. I've been invited to teach what I know, and you can take it or leave it. It's not, no, I'm not going to listen if you're there. So, and you've been on the end of it, mm-hmm. so you can vouch for its effectiveness. So, I, I use a technique that I call the baseball bat, which is a 4 arm strike to the crotted plexus. Um adrenaline did have a, a role to play. Uh, you gave it you gave it in. I gave it him a little bit <laughs> yeah. harder than I intended. My point my intention was to make a point. Yeah. <laughs> the result was he was unconscious <laughs> 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 and came round a little while later, a bit wiser I would hope. Um uh, but you know, as I said to you last night, I knew I'd got it hit him hard enough to prove the point. Yeah. Otherwise, my credibility was gone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but I did let him have it a little bit too much, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. But that was a bit of a misjudgment on my part, I suppose. Yeah. But you know how effective that strike is. You've been on no, the end of it for no, me. you can vouch for the listeners. But it, you know it does work. Yeah. Um, but he got it even harder than the one I let you have. <laughs> Jesus. Um, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah that, that was that but it was a, I think you woke up a wiser man
0: yeah good good brilliant listen man we could ch- chat for hours you've been an absolute gentleman I really do appreciate yeah. your hospitality as always my pleasure here you go look we've been on for 40 minutes really well, that's just
1: flame fire isn't it that's brilliant
0: you're She's a gentleman in the scholar thank you very
1: much I look forward to listening to myself at
0: some point we'll do it all again guys
1: yeah absolutely